Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. My name is Andrew Brezza, and I got Dr. Sean Pastuch back on the podcast for a very special podcast today. We're going to be talking about, discussing, and a little bit of debating on the four nights model for coaches pay. And we're just going to be talking about all things coaches pay today. So I wanted to throw the ball right back to you, Sean, and just say like, what, what is the first thing that comes to mind for you when you think about coaches pay and maybe mistakes that people are making with coaches pay? I appreciate you having me on and give me the opportunity to talk about this, Andrew. The first thing that comes to mind is that people are drastically undervaluing what the coach is capable of. And when we do that, we limit the coach's capacity to, to reach their potential capabilities. You know, if, if, if heart surgeons got paid a hundred bucks for an operation, nobody would take the risk. Nobody would go to the school. Nobody would do the work and we wouldn't have life-saving technology. And we wouldn't have life-saving service from heart surgeons. I'm not comparing coaches to heart surgeons. I'm just stating that there needs to be a commensurate value return to the energy expended to be able to do the job. And we're not taking that seriously enough. Who do you think is the primary person undervaluing it? Is it the coach themselves? Is it the gym owner uh, or the owner of the location they're working at? Is it the client? Or is do you see a, a primary culprit in this situation? It's the industry. It's it's the industry because we're we're walking backwards. Or like I mean, and when I mean that is we can't even see where we're going. So let me give you an example and we'll, we'll back it up from there. You cool with it? This is going to sound yeah. like it has nothing to do with coaching. And I promise you it has everything to do with coaching. You just had your second, second son. Yes. Yeah. One month okay. ago. One month ago. How old is your older son? He is three in January. So a little okay. over two and a half. How often would you say your older son misunderstands your intentions in his direction? Oh, often. I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with it multiple times a day. Often. I would agree with you. So let's start there because so much of our decision-making happens subconsciously. It doesn't happen in the conscious mind. It happens in the subconscious mind. Up to 95% of our decision-making is subconscious. Okay. Can you get behind me on that idea? Yeah, definitely. But we have to agree on that. Otherwise the rest of it's useless. <laughs> So let's say one day your son, your older son gets home from soccer game or basketball. You went to watch and you went with your wife and he missed a shot at the end of the game that could have won it. Right. So he's upset. Your wife runs over and she gives him a big hug, tells him how much she loves him anyway. You played so well and you, you know, you gave him a high five, you pat him on the head and then you went your merry way. That's how you express love, potentially. But your son, who's four years old or five years old when this happens, doesn't interpret it that way. He interprets it that mommy loves me no matter what. For daddy to love me, I have to achieve. And then starts looking for situations that confirm that bias. Right? All the time. So yeah. when he comes home from school, if he gets a bad grade, who's he going to show first? Mom. Mom, if when, you know, he he's, doesn't get into the college that he wants, who's he going to show it to? Who's he going to talk to about it? Mom. And when something great finally does happen, 
Who's he going to bring it to? Probably dad. Right. And that doesn't go away. And it could be the mom and dad roles were flipped. But what I'm getting at is our decision-making starts from a story that we manufactured in our head when we were kids that doesn't actually match reality. And then that story begins to form our beliefs. Our beliefs start to form our actions. And we just, everybody just falls back on, yeah, that's how things are done. And that's a huge mistake, huge mistake. So the industry has gotten to a place where it just, this is what coaches are valued at because this is the story that the industry tells itself. This is what the mentors are telling the gym owners. It's what the gym owners are then passing on to their clients. It's what the cli- it's what the coaches are telling the gym owners they're comfortable asking the clients for. It's what the clients begin to expect to pay. It's a vicious circle of people not understanding the value and the opportunities at hand. Where do we break that cycle? Where's the first place? The mentors. To the mentors, the people who are out there helping gym owners have to change their message. They have to. They're, they're driving the price of the market down and they're making it an environment in which coaching is not a full-time career. And the reason I say the mentors is because they have massive influence. And if, if, if we don't use that influence then we find ourselves in a situation where we fail the people who we aim to help. The responsibility is on everybody up the chain and down the chain. And then where, where does that play out most often in, in terms of like the tactical day to day? Is it in that people are undercharging? Is it that they're not thinking to what they actually want to get out of something? Let's go down. Let's take, let's take one, one pillar at a time, right? So let's say the first audience we're going to talk to is the gym owner. We'll talk to the gym owner. Then we'll talk to the coach. Then we'll talk to the client. Mm -hmm. The gym owner in many cases, I mean, look, you, you run a podcast called seven figure box because you run a seven figure box. Most gym owners are not you. So most gym owners believe nobody wants personal training. They, they joined CrossFit or they joined this gym because they wanted group. Yep. That's not true. They don't want group. They don't want one-on-one training. They want whatever it is that they think what they bought is going to get them. It's your responsibility as a gym owner to understand what that thing is and what the fastest path to it is. And to inform the client that this is what we need to do to get you to there, given what you told me and given where you're starting. That's first. So nobody wants to pay that. No, nobody wants to pay that for a shoddy version of what it is. And people are like, well, personal training is all the same. It's similar, right? It's, you know, I do it this way, you do it that way. Yeah. Two Advils are similar to a bottle of Advil but two fix my headache and the bottle corrodes my liver. They're similar. One works, the other doesn't. So the gym owner has to understand and own the responsibility of helping the clients. The coach has to understand that they're not doing anybody any favors by charging them less than they're worth or nothing at all. Nobody wants to buy that. No, nobody does want to buy that. Nobody wants to buy your process. 
but people do want to buy the outcomes that they thought they were buying the gym membership for. It's your job to inform them that it's not going to happen that way. And we'll get into very specific examples as we get there. But the coach now, what happens is the coach either understands that people need it and is willing to sell it to them and suffers day to day because they don't make enough money. Or the coach isn't willing to deal with the emotional conflict of trying to sell something to somebody, having to hear no to make 25 or 30 bucks for the hour. It's not worth it. This isn't a full-time gig for me, man. Like, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to deal with people thinking that I'm some slimy, sleazy, pushy salesperson trying to get them to buy stuff that they don't need when my outcome is 30 bucks for a session that I have to spend 20 minutes to 30 minutes prepping for. You're out of your mind. So the owner then thinks the coaches don't even want to do it. No, the coaches don't want to do it because they don't see the value because you don't incentivize them appropriately and you don't charge appropriately. The member walks in and says, well, I joined a group fitness place. This place costs 150 bucks a month. You tell me I gotta spend more? Only if you want this outcome in this amount of time. Do you have to spend more? No. But if you want this in this amount of time, these are the limitations of the group class and these are what the things that we do when the group class limitations end. You need this. Period. So when you're talking about a coach, like the, the thing that I'm that stands out to me is you have coaches that are still in their developing phase. So you know, you talk a lot about like kind of beginning with the end in mind. What what where do you want to be when your book of business is full? Do you recommend starting there charging that from day one no even if you don't have the skill set to get that right off the bat or well, we you didn't know, even... might be able to get a few clients but not a, a full book with that first of all we didn't talk about what the charge yet we need to talk about that but no there's a there's a ramping up version especially if you're working in somebody else's gym but typically what happens is coaches trainers whatever you want to call them will never charge as much as they should be charging to be able to stay in the career long enough to be able to gain the experience that you're describing them needing to be able to charge a premium. Mm -hmm. That's the problem, right? So it's, does a coach, does every coach need to charge $150 an hour for training sessions? No, they definitely don't. Prices have to match in some way, shape or form the market that you're in. There are outliers in every market, but there's a general rule for what the market will, will pay. And you have to understand what that is, know what that is, and understand where you feel like you need to be in order to charge that. But there cannot be this bullshit, random, I think you're good enough now so we can charge that. There has to be a measurable path to getting there. Well, what would something like that look like? What would be a metric that you would be looking at to then say, hey, you're ready to move on? That's going to vary from gym owner to gym owner. You have to describe what you think a training session should look like, what you think a program should look like, what you think somebody's knowledge base needs to be, what someone's salesmanship needs to be. You decide all of that. 
And then based on someone's ability to hit a variety of metrics within that system, they move up. So let's talk about what to charge for a session. Can we start there? Because I think that, that yeah, will clear things up for people. Yeah. What most gyms do now, at least from my experience when I talk to gyms who we work with, is, okay, how much does the gym need to make on this session? And then they make up some random number and justify it with a bunch of nonsense. Then, okay, if we need to make that, how much can we reasonably charge for a session in our market? Let's charge that. And they choose that based on thin air. Something flies by in front of their face and they grab it. That's the number they're going to go with. Or they look at the local market or what are, what are trainers charging around me, right? If you looked at how other CrossFit gyms operate around you, you would be suffering like they are. So don't look at how other people are doing it and decide that that's how you need to do it. Have it for context, but don't build your business off of someone else's. Yeah. Then they say, okay, this is what we think we can charge. This is how much we need to make. So the coach is left with that, right? Yeah. It would be like getting invite, like you invite someone over for dinner with you and all of your friends. And every time they come, they have to eat last. They get the leftovers. This is all we were able to order. Everybody else ate until they were full. This is what's left for you. And then being surprised in like three or four months that they don't want to come to dinner anymore. Of course they don't. You're feeding them fucking table scraps. So the way that we recommend doing it is different. The way I recommend doing it is take the average household income in your town, multiply it by two, add 10%, divide it by a thousand. What do you get? So let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar average household that's two hundred thousand dollars plus ten percent that's 220 then you divide by a thousand that's two hundred and twenty dollars a session is that right correct that's right so a a trainer in your area with street cred with good marketing with professionalism with all kinds of um professional lineage could charge 220 dollars an hour in your town and get it. So we're thinking that's more on the top line of what they could get. That's the, that's going to be the top of what someone who is a understandably a trainer is going to get. Yes. Now you might be like, look, I don't think that our staff is going to get that. I don't think that our members are prepared to pay that. I don't think that we've done the job of setting that up. So what I tell people is that the sweet spot is 150 on the high end and 100 on the low end for a single session. I don't believe anybody should be charging less than $100 for a session. So that works really, really well when your average household income is between forty dollars and $70,000, which is where most people in the country are going to find their gym. For those below $40,000, you should set your number at $100 for a single. For those above seventy, dollars consider setting it at $150. Cool. Good so far. Yeah. 
that's now, sort of one one session, not not a package. Correct. That's a single session. I call those outcome sessions. The reason why we call them outcome sessions is because I better fucking get an outcome for 150 bucks. Meaning I came in and I couldn't climb a rope and now I can. Yeah. Right. But what happens is gym owners and coaches look at it and they're like, that's crazy. Nobody would ever pay $150 to learn how to climb a rope. That's insanity. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a story. I had a member once who I was kind of like, I was cocky. I was very cocky and I didn't really want to do training sessions. Like you. Yeah, no, I didn't really want to do training sessions, but this guy was like, I, I want to train with you. What would it cost? I'm like, look, it's 120 bucks a session. If you buy 12 and he's like, all right, fine. So he bought 12. Mind you, average household income where I am is about 80,000, 80. So for 12, 120 was what I was down to charge him at the time. It was like five years ago, six years ago. I didn't even ask him what he wanted. I didn't ask him what his goals were. I just sold him 12 sessions. First day, I'm like, all right, what do you want to do? It was terrible. I wasn't doing a good job. He's like, we'll learn how to climb a rope. Okay. So four minutes later, I was like, what else do you want to learn how to do? You have 12 more sessions and this one is like one fifteenth in. And he's like, honestly, man, I would have paid 1440 bucks for what I just got in four minutes. Like, what do you mean? No way. He's like, let me tell you something. I was a decent athlete in high school, never a good one. Didn't make any of the teams. And I always kind of felt like I was not as cool as my buddies who made all the teams. Then I grow up, I get married, I have a kid and I want to do something athletic. So I start doing Spartan races and I'm going to these Spartan races. And whenever we get to the rope climbs, just can't climb the freaking rope and flashbacks to high school just hit me where I'm not that cool anymore. I'm doing 30 burpees on the side while my friends are like waiting for me for the next obstacle. And it sucks. And even though it was just one bad obstacle and a great day, I'm bummed when it's over. And, and I'm not the father I should be when I get home. I'm not the husband I should be when I get home because I'm bummed about it. But you taught me today how to climb a rope and all of that goes away next time I run a race. He's like, I would have paid more than 1440 for it. So whatever you want to do for the next 11 sessions and remainder of today, I'm down. And for me, that was a pivotal moment where I was like, shit, I should have asked this guy what he wanted first. And wow, there's a lot of value there. And that's for somebody who's healthy. Imagine someone who's not. So the outcome session, you know, would you pay 150 bucks to have better sex with your wife for the rest of your life to be a better father and to have more confidence? And yeah, if climbing an outcome. Yeah. And if climbing a rope is the thing that is most, you know, would you pay 150 bucks? Is it not worth 150 bucks to get it out of the way? And I know people are listening to this. They're like, oh, must be nice to live in New York, be able to buy a $150 session. Remember, do the numbers based on where you live. The numbers work. So that's a single session. Then if they're going to buy 12, a 12 pack is what we recommend. Maybe you do a 10, a 15, nothing less than 10 for your first package. 75% of a single session rate. So that session would be, if it was, let's just say it was 150. What's the math on that? What's 75% of 150? 120. 
it's like one thing one fifteen one ten plus seventy five. So yeah, like whatever. So 75% yeah. of a single session is your 12 session price. Yeah. 90% of your 12 session is your 24 session price. 92.5% of your 24 session is your 48 session price. Now you have packages. Coaches should be selling clients the package that they need to solve their problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was the biggest thing that you worked on with us was I remember you told us, because I think we were selling one, five, and 10 session packages, and it might even been smaller than that. And you're like, you're selling sessions, you're not selling results. And that really hit me um, pretty hard that like, you're right, we couldn't, I mean, we could get someone to rope climb in one session, but those five and 10 sessions were these like weird middle grounds where we probably weren't gonna get someone the result they wanted. We're going to take a, a significant amount of money from them, not what we should have been charging, but neither one of us would end up with the result that we wanted. We wouldn't have gotten them what they were looking for. And then we feel like, you know, our coaches are not excited to run those sessions at the price and the packages that we were charging before. Yeah, they're, they're getting table scraps at the dinner table and they don't want to come over anymore. Shouldn't be surprised. And And the members aren't buying them like crazy because they're not getting you know, transformative outcomes. And believe me when I tell you this, guys, people don't want transformation on the cheap. Nobody, Nobody's like, oh, I got front row tickets to the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger's last tour for 10 bucks. No, they want to tell you they spent $1,000 to get those seats. They want to, they want to, wow, you're crazy. That's awesome. You must've been like going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Thousand bucks a seat. It was amazing. It's the truth. So now what happens is when you're charging prices like that, you can afford to incentivize coaches appropriately because your pricing is set up based on your average client's income or your, your market's income, which is going to mean that we can work backwards and pay your coach an amount that gets them to that which is a novel idea, I think. So what we do is this, we explain to gyms that you're gonna have to figure out how to figure out how much money you need to make on a session. And it can't be arbitrary. Right? so I talk to gyms all the time who tell me we need this percentage. And I ask them, how did you get to that percentage? Like, well, fixed costs plus salary and profit at the end of the year, cool. What are your fixed costs? Well, rent, utilities, water, electric. Got it. How do those change when you add training sessions? They don't. Okay. So you're factoring in a fixed cost fee on something that doesn't cost you anything more than you're already spending to offer your primary service. Right? Like, yeah. Okay. Your coaches see through that. Your coaches know that's bullshit. They also know you need to make some money. And they're totally amenable to that. So here's how we recommend gyms do it. Have an immediate goal. The immediate goal is we want, as a gym, to have all of our classes coached and paid for 
by personal training. Meaning, the gym derives enough net revenue from personal training to pay a coach to run every class on the schedule. Make sense? Yeah. So, how much do you pay a coach to run a class? Uh, use 30 for an example. So, let's say 30. Okay. If your coach makes $30 to run a class, every coach understands that you need to still pay somebody $30 to run the class that they're now not coaching. Right? Yep. So we needed at the end of the day, the gym needs to net $30. Our real costs on a personal training session in a CrossFit gym, not in a personal training gym. We're talking about CrossFit gyms. Our real cost on a session is your pay, payroll tax, credit card processing fees. Is there anything that I'm missing? You'll have to clarify on that. So you're saying this net $30 would go towards those things or you're saying- No, 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 I'll clarify that up. What, what, I, what I want to know from you is if I'm missing anything in terms of your cost, you have classes already going on Coach is now going to train somebody on the floor at the same time, off to the side, in a different room, whatever the case might be. Can you think of any costs that you have that are not credit card processing fees, paying the coach, or employment tax? Um, I mean, I'll throw, throw some things out there just to kind of play devil's advocate here. I think space is one thing you have to consider, floor space. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's classes for us that at times take up every inch of that floor space. So uh, we've had to figure out ways to either make space for personal training. And, you know, if you were to assign a value to square footage, that would be something. Um, also equipment too, like equipment. It's not like every time you run a personal training session, something is breaking, but equipment is definitely wearing over time. Um, cleaning as well, uh, cleaning of the facility, making sure that that's uh, part of it. Um, and then you go to things like continuing education, making sure that someone's overseeing what that coach is doing, coach's development. Those are things that come up for me. That's like, those are service. Those are things that you could easily kind of push off to the group class. But realistically, if we were a personal training studio and that was all we did, we would have to account for that in our personal training. For sure. I think all of those are reasonable. I also think that when you add all of those up, they're negligible in terms of what they're going to cost per session. If you have 500 members in your gym, how many barbells do you have? 50. Okay. And how many times a day are those barbells getting used? Probably each one's getting used three to five times. Let's call it five times so we keep the math easy. Yeah. Okay. Five times a day. 365 days a year. Even call it 300 days a year. So we really keep the math easy. That's 1,500 uses on a barbell from a group class, right? When's the, how often do you replace your barbells? Oh, barbells is, uh, is not a, a tough expense. We have to clean. So we clean them and maintenance. We do that three times a year. That's uh, a few okay. hundred bucks. So every 1,500 uses... You spread a few hundred bucks over 50 bars to keep them clean. Yeah. You're talking about pennies per use. Correct. Right. And 
those those prices are going to extrapolate across all of the things that you're describing. They're going to equal a dollar, a dollar fifty per session when you add all of it up. Tops. Depending on how many sessions are being run, I would say that's that's really what's going to come down to. How do you figure? Like if we took the group class out of it and we're only running, you know, well then you're not, but then you're then you're not a CrossFit gym. Correct. So we're talking about CrossFit gyms. I'm just looking at the viability of the personal training business on its own without looking at the group class. Got um, it. I hear you. So, so let's, let's keep going through the numbers and then we'll come back and you tell me if you think they don't work. Okay. Cool. The immediate goal is to replace your class revenue or your class costs in personal training revenue. So you need to net on each personal training session at least as much money as a class costs you to run. Yeah. So if you pay a coach 30 bucks, a personal training session needs to net you 30 bucks. So we're going to take $30. To that, we're going to add payroll tax split in half. We're going to split that with the coach. So $100 session, that's $7.70. So let's add $3.35. So now you're at $33.75 to the gym. Credit card processing fees are three and a half percent. So you're going to add three dollars and fifty cents. So now instead of thirty three seventy five, you're at thirty seven twenty five. Got it? Yep. Now what you're also going to do is you're going to charge a 20% buffer. And I'll explain to you what that's for in a minute. So on thirty dollars, twenty percent ends up being six dollars. So now we're at $43.25, right? Yep. Okay. That's on a $100 session when you're paying coaches $30 to run a class. Got it? Yep. In that case, the reason the buffer is there is because when you get to a place where your gym is doing enough sessions, it can no longer be the owner of the gym's role to oversee all of those sessions. And you're going to need a director of personal trainer to do the job. Yeah. The director of personal trainer is going to get that buffer difference on every single session. So the $6 per session that you built in as added margin until you needed the role is there so that when you need the role, the money is already in place. You don't have to shift the revenue share anymore. Got it? Okay. Yeah. So now every session that happens, the coach in this case would make what, $57 on 100 Yeah. Yeah, about 57. Okay, the coach made $57 on 100. The gym would make 37.50. And it's getting 43, but six of it goes to the director. Yeah. Yeah. So the gym is getting 37 and the director is getting six. Mm -hmm. Everybody's paid. Everybody makes the livable wage. The gym is taken care of. There's somebody to oversee every single session. That's what the $6 is for. The trainer makes enough money to get up in the morning. Everybody wins. I don't see how setting a, a given percentage for every session across the board makes any sense. So now you're saying as that, as that gym grows and trainer, trainer should be able to charge more, but the gym should not take more. Definitely not what I'm saying. So the gym is going to take more to account for the expenses incurred in increasing the trainer's pay. 
your credit card processing fees are going to go up and so is your payroll tax. Other than that, right. The gym doesn't get paid more because the coach got better. Now, what if a gym's starting out and they're, they're charging $100 a session and then they grow a gym that has 10 coaches charging $200 a session and... I mean, don't you think the, the gym should have – like the gym's taking a lot of risk there. Don't you think they should have some of the upside that comes with that significant type of an increase? No. Definitely not. Unless the gym is responsible for the education of the coaches and the gym is responsible for getting the coaches to that pay increase, then sure. I think that would be reasonable for anybody to assume. But if the coaches go out on their own, they're getting continuing education. The coaches go out on their own and they're learning how to increase their prices and increase their value and retain their clients. Then no, the gym doesn't make more money. When, when, when a baseball team has a rookie and their rookie contract ends and he wants to be paid more, he just gets paid more. That's, that's capitalism. But there's also a huge increase in revenue that's coming back to that team, no? No. Jersey sales, attendance, stuff like that. That is Yeah, but so a, a trainer who's making two hundred dollars is gonna be doing more sessions. You're gonna get paid in volume. And on top of that, they're gonna be able to do things like online program design, developing other coaches for you, all these other things that are gonna bring money back through the door. Now, are you looking at this strictly at the context of this is a, a group class facility that also does personal training? Or do you think the same thing's true if you are really a personal training focused studio? The same thing is not true in a personal training focused studio. It is different. Why is it different? Because the personal training studio, their costs are driven to acquire and retain clients who want personal training. So they're running ads to get personal training clients. They are putting the appropriate equipment in the gym to attract personal training clients of a certain type. They have an aesthetic that is built for personal training. They have everything about it is built for luxury, if you will, as opposed to being built to be able to allow a lot of people to come through. I think that's true to an extent, but like there's... I know for us, um, we've always paid a pretty high percentage. We weren't charging enough, but we always paid a pretty high percentage on our sessions. So coaches were always getting a good amount. And I've heard of places like, I know Jason Kalipa at NC Fit was paying 100%. It's a mistake. At one time. Uh, ben Bergeron, CrossFit New England, I think they still pay 80%. Now those are gyms, and we were one of them as well. I'm throwing us in this bucket too. We were gyms that had the ability to pay our coaches a lot. It was clearly laid out, yet the coaches were not doing a lot of personal training sessions. And until the business said, and the owner put time and energy into it to, you know, for us, it's PT first at the front end. For us, it's movement assessments, being part of the conversation, doing podcasts. Like it's become ingrained into the gym. And that's part of the reason why we're selling more. And that's the reason why in these places like an NC fit, it was never part of the conversation. And then no matter how much they would pay the coach, it would never, it was never really, no one was really making a career off of the PT side. So I think that 
you might be overlooking what that gym is putting into it to help to develop the interest, help to create the sale, create the marketing. I get you have to have good trainers because we see it, but how, how much does the, the gym have to have a part in creating that? Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I have, so, so let me make something clear. I am not suggesting that the gym give everything to the coach. I'm suggesting that the gym gets their classes covered. If they have classes, if they don't have the classes, everything we talked about is moot. Now that said, um, NC fit is no longer hundred percent to the coach. Yeah, I know they changed. I don't know what Bergeron does. What I know is we have people in our immersion course all the time, coaches who are like, dude, I can sell people all day long, but I'm getting, I'm getting $30 on a $70 session. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to do it. What am I, what do I do? I really like the people here. And they leave those gyms every single time we run an immersion course to a gym that will pay them better. And when they come to me and they're like, I found a gym that's going to give me 100% or 90%, I tell them, you should not go there. And they say, why not? I'm going to get like, you told me to go somewhere I can get more money. I said, because that's a gym that doesn't <coughs> understand business. And a gym that doesn't understand business won't be able to facilitate what it is that you want to do there. They won't be able to create the environment that you need to have there. You should not go. That's the reality. So for me, the happy medium, if you're a group fitness facility, is to have your group fitness be free for you. Everything after that is bonus on top that you get to make continued profits on. So when you have coaches that are developing, like you have a staff, but like, let's say you don't do a lot of personal training, you're trying to get to that point. How do you, how do you just get to that point? Because I think it's, it seems, it seems get like it goes point. beyond just the numbers of saying, okay, well, we're going to start to charge this per session. We're going to start to divvy up this percentage and like starting out, you might only say, you know, you might have first month you do it one coach sells one 10 session package and that's going to cover some of your classes but how do you get to the point where you're like like none of your costs are covered by personal training to like hopefully every single class is covered by personal training i love that question the answer is first of all you understand the value that you have as a coach in the gym and you understand as an owner the value that your coaches have for you that's like, that's the baseline. Remember, we talked about the subconscious mind to start this conversation. It goes back to that. The first step is not tactics. The first step is not raise your prices, run this ad, do this promotion, build your package. That is not the first step. The first step is understanding the value on a deep, deep, deep level. You have to know that what you do is important. And then when someone offers you 40% of it, you can feel confident saying, okay, you don't get it. I'm going to leave. <clears throat> um, that's step one, build the subconscious mind. Step two, once you understand how important what you do is, then you can start going into the gym, finding the people who need it and selling it to them. The obvious question that comes up is what if you can't, how do you do that? Right? So, I'll tell you what we tell gyms to do and what we tell coaches to do. I'm giving away more of the secret sauce. <laughs> there are six questions that a coach needs to ask somebody who they believe they can help before that person will work with them. 
So. Are you going to tell us those? No, of course I am. <laughs> of course I am. So think of it this way. Let me ask you this first, actually. What is the number one reason why coaches don't like to sell? How do they feel? They feel, they feel sleazy. They feel like a used car salesman. Yes. You feel sleazy. You feel pushy. You feel like you tricked somebody into doing something that you didn't want, that they didn't want to do. Right. Yep. Well, what if we could get it to a situation where they actually asked us to sell them? The client asked the coach or yeah. client asked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be fantastic. Good. Then let's do that. So six questions to an assessment. And by the way, if you can't assess your clients, I highly recommend that you don't sell them anything because you, you don't know what you're solving. Question number one, is that true? So you're essentially asking, I noticed this thing. You said this thing. Is that true? Is what I noticed about what you said true? Yes, that's true. Um, my back hurts whenever I do deadlifts. Yes, that's true. Okay. Question number two, how long has that been bothering you for? Oh, two years, three years, ever since... I started coming here. I've had back pain, but you know, that's part of the course, right? I mean, like that's, that's what happens when you train like this. Oh my God. No, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know that. Like, no, that is not what's supposed to happen when you work out. That's two. Question two is how long have you had it? The answer to question two from you is an apology. Question three, what have you tried to fix that? Well, I've tried, I went to the physical therapist. I've tried modifying. I did a one-on-one -on -one session or two. Like nothing seems, nothing seems to work, man. Got it. Okay. Um, why do you think those things aren't working? That's question number four. I don't know. Maybe like the doctors don't know what's going on. Maybe my, when I did the sessions, the trainer wasn't paying enough attention. I, I don't know. I don't know. Just didn't, it's not working. Okay. Question five. Would you say it's a priority for you to get this fixed? Or is this something that you would just like to do, you know, whenever it happens, it happens? No, it's a, it's a priority. Like this is, I get back pain every day. I can't get bent down and pick up my kids. Okay. If I made some time, would you want to hop on my schedule to see if working together one-on-one -on -one would make sense? We'll do an assessment, figure it all out. What about that was pushy? That was fantastic. Thank you. So now what happens is if anywhere along the way, from the beginning to the end, you get an answer that is not commensurate with, I should continue selling this person. You end it. You stop selling. People think that they're going to, they're going to come across as sleazy and pushy if they ask people for money and sell them something. But the same person drove up in a Mercedes or has a Louis Vuitton bag or has the premium cable package at their house. They have red zone, like whatever. They're, they're happy to spend money on things that they value. So if they value what you're doing, it's your duty to sell it to them. If they don't value what you're asking, don't sell. We have one rule that we teach everybody because in our immersion course and in our pro path, we do teach people how to be lethal when it comes to selling, at least this stuff. And I, I imagine you could attest to that. But our rule is only sell to people who are in the market for what you have. Let me repeat that. Only sell to people who are in the market for what you have. 
and always sell to people who are in the market for what you have. That's it. If, if, if you find out that they're not in the market and you continue to sell, you start to develop what we call commission breath. And people can smell that. And nobody wants to work with someone who has commission breath. But if you take them through those questions and they indicate to you that they do want to train, they do want these things solved, it would be worth it to find out if you could help them. Then it's your job. Now, what if you're a coach who's like, you know, you're not a complacent coach. You're a coach that's working hard. You've, you've been to, you know, active life. You've been on the workshop. You've done, you know, your level two coach or level three coach. You got, you got some knowledge. You got some tools, but you're still not 100% confident you can deliver that result. Mm -hmm. Where does that coach go? Great question. So the first part to that is we always tell people to start by making a list of the 10 people who have problems in the gym that they already believe they can solve. And to write down how they think that person is feeling with their problem. So John can't climb a rope. He is frustrated and feels emasculated. I'm confident I can help John climb a rope because I've taught many people how to climb a rope in group class. If I had an hour with him, I could crush it. Make a list of 10 people like that and read it every day. You're going to be compelled to go talk to those people. Now, the other thing about this is the key words there are make a list of 10 people who have problems that you already believe you can solve and write down why you believe you can solve them. It confirms your confidence that you can get them through this. For people who, that the first thing you guys need to do, coaches, is find all of those people. When you're through your list of 10, make another list of 10. When you're through that list of 10, make another list of 10. There's no reason to learn new skills to solve problems that you already have the skills to solve. If you want to solve problems that you don't know how to solve, because that's where your passion lives, or you know that those are more valuable problems, for example, like helping people get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. If you want to be someone who can do that, that you have to go out and buy that skill. I know exactly where you can go for that too. Me too. I wasn't even looking for a plug. But my point is you, you need to saturate your skills before you just aimlessly spend money on new ones. And every, every coach in every gym has enough skills right now to help somebody in their gym solve a problem that they're dealing with. The problem, the reason why they don't is because in so many cases, the prices of doing it are so low and the take that the coach gets is so low that there's no incentive to do it. And it becomes a sales problem. Coaches don't know how to sell. They have to be taught how to sell. Gym owners don't know how to sell. They have to be taught how to sell. It's a communication skill. It's a high value communication skill. But when there's not enough money to make it worth it to do it, no one's going to do it. Uh, let's go back to the money for a little bit. So do you think there's situations that exist where you can have incentives on that increase or percentages? You don't like percentages, correct? Or you, you don't mind percentages? I, I don't like a fixed percentage. So okay. the thing is, I gave you easy math before, right? It becomes more complicated when you have to figure out your average session value. 
and then figure out what the coach can make per session based off the average session sold value. Right. So if the, if, if your single sessions are 120 bucks, your 12 packs are 95 or whatever, 90 and your average session sells at 86, you're factoring your numbers off of 86. Right. That's when the math becomes tricky. Don't, don't base it off the single session, base it off what that average is. Correct. So let's say your average comes out to a hundred. We're using the example, the gyms, we said the gym was getting 57 bucks. Let's say the gym takes, what do you mean the gym is getting 57? Or no, sorry, the, the coach takes 57 of that. Correct. Yeah. Let's say the gym in that instance just says, okay, we're going to, we're going to make it a percentage. We're going to take 45, you take 55. If you clear a certain amount, in a month or in a, in a quarter, you're going to get up to 60%. If you clear another certain amount, you're going to get up to, you know, 62 and a half percent. But like what I'm thinking is a situation that the gym also has that upside for when that trainer does really well and their rates go up and not to say that they're going to take a huge chunk of the pie, but I think that they, you know, for the investment they're putting in the risk that they're going to have on the business side to, potentially have upset customers because they had a bad experience with personal training or whatever it might be. There's situations that come up where there's risk on the business side. I think that they should share more in that upside. Do you like that format where they have a little bit of more incentive on that upside? I think you asked two different questions. I think you asked, how does a gym offset their risk? And do I like creating upside for coaches and gyms? And the answer to the second question is yes. I like the idea of incentive where there's more pay for more performance. But if you are a group fitness model, that incentive is mostly for the coach, not for the gym. And to me, having a superstar who ends up generating a lot of money for the gym is more valuable than saying, hey, I need an extra 15 bucks a session from you so that I can make an extra 300 bucks a week, 15,000 bucks a year off of your back because you're charging more now. I think that that comes across as lack of appreciation from the gym owner to the coach. My take on it. Um, you know, that stuff is established in advance where it's to say, okay, if you get a certain amount, so, so rather than saying, you know, you're getting, the, the, the coach knows they're not getting less than 55 a session because they're mm -hmm. getting 55%. So they know if they charge more, they get more 55% of that higher number. Now, if they also on top of that are now booking, let's say on average 10 sessions a week, um, or maybe it's only five sessions a week, it doesn't have to be a huge mark that gets them an extra 5% at the end of the quarter then not only are they getting more per session because they're charging more and they're getting 55% of that higher number, now they're getting this bonus thrown their way. To me, that's that's a big deal. And I think, so what I see is, I, I think that the gym owners need some protection too. I think there's a they lot do. of gym owners. So the, the gym owners do have protection though, because the sessions get bought to the gym, not to the coach. And if the coach does a bad job, the gym owner can fire the coach. The sessions transfer to somebody else. The gym owner can say, you're no longer going to train this client and transfer the sessions to somebody right, else. Right, but what I'm talking about is that deeper, the deeper subconscious. So you're talking about, when you talk about protecting the coach, you're talking about a lot of these, these background subconscious things we're saying. 
Now I know a lot of owners out there. I I'm one of them and we pay very well, but I'm playing devil's advocate here, I get it. which is to feel bad about taking as that coach does well, when really it's sharing in the success of that coach and it's a mutually beneficial process. And I think that I want to kind of put that warning out there because I think there's a lot of coaches or owners out there that will feel guilty. It's probably the minority to the ones that are underpaying their coaches, but I think there's a lot of gyms out there that are overpaying and they're not protecting their upside or their even their downside. If you're covering if you're covering your cost of classes, you're not underpaid. Now, if you start having coaches who are making 200 who are yielding 200 bucks an hour for their class, or for their one-on-one, -on -one, I should say. And you're like, well, I'm ending up with $37 and they're ending up with 163. Yeah, and you're the gym owner who can market that you're the only gym who's able to get their coaches to $163 for a training session. Come work here. You're going to have a rock star staff. It's Gyms have so many opportunities to, to build revenue for themselves. Coaches are limited. Coaches are limited by their time. They're limited by the opportunity that the gym is able to give them to end up being in a managerial role where they're helping other people on the team. Coaches are limited. Gyms have relatively unlimited upside. So to me, the gym doesn't need to make more of the coach's money than covering their classes and then making bonus when classes are done. If they're a group fitness facility. But it's at some point they will run out of space. So what if they're maximizing their space? You know, you're yeah. talking about upside. There's a physical limitation to what they can do with that space. For sure. If you're running up against a space issue and you're having to decide to cancel classes or have less members in the gym, then you have to have a conversation with your coaches that says, look, I am capped at my upside here because of the opportunities I'm providing you. So we need to increase the prices of the sessions that you're doing. And I need to make this much money to continue to offer the services that we're offering because it's now a cost to me that it previously wasn't. I don't think there are a lot of gyms who are in the problem of we have so many training sessions and so many members and so little space that we don't have room to do them. Now, what if a gym wants to spend money on marketing and things like that? How does that factor in? Or should they not spend money on marketing to these additional services? Great question. If the gym is marketing to get people in the door for personal training services. So for example, great example, your PT first. I believe coaches should get paid less on a PT first session than they should on a session they sold off the gym or in a session that they retain that client to. Because that it, you had expense built into that and you have to factor your cost of acquisition of that client, 100%. So if the gym is marketing to get somebody in the gym for personal training, they have to know their customer acquisition cost and that has to be factored into the first personal training package the person buys. So the gym is at least break even on the initial package. it becomes a cost. And then when it comes to things like continuing education, you're putting that hundred percent on the coach. Not necessarily, but I think the coaches have to have skin in the game. 
you know, there's a lot of ways that we advise gyms to do continuing education with their coaches. If the coaches absolutely can't afford it, the gym can, if the gym can, the gym can front it and then take a larger percentage of sessions until the gym has been paid back by the coach. They can do a 50-50 split. The gym can get paid back their 50% over time, it, like just like a loan. But the coach has to perform. And if the coach has no skin in the game, I don't see the coach performing. Like this, this podcast, I want to be clear. Coaches have to show up and professionally and do their job. They don't just get a handout. So let's, let's finish up with this. Does that change when you have a coach who's like, I love the group classes. I want to supplement my income with personal training. You know, they're passionate about it. They, they care about the clients that they work with, but they're not necessarily looking to, you know, they're probably content with two personal training hours a day at, and a couple group classes, as opposed to this, you know, 40 hours a week combination of both. They want to work probably low thirties, make 50 K a year and, and kind of be content with that. How does well, that change? Does that change? I want to be straightforward with you. And we can talk about this on another show. I never said anything about 40 hours. I think a coach should be able to make $70,000 a year in less than 30 hours a week in the gym. And we've, we've proven that over and over and over again to be possible. So do you think that hobby coach though can ever get to that? That coach I don't think has, there's room for hobby coaches. And not, not, not even hobby coach. I'm talking about a coach that's serious, but they're not, we know there's so many skills that they have to develop to get to that point. And if they mm -hmm. never take that time, then they have, to, 50, they have to be washed out of the week. system. They, they have to be washed out. Go back to the heart surgeon. If they don't want to do the internship and they don't want to run the rounds, like how do we get them to operate on only low risk hearts? We don't. You don't get to operate. We have to make it more important. We, we're, we're in a world right now where we have an opioid epidemic in our country. We have obesity on the rise. Diabetes is rampant and we're paying coaches fucking $30 an hour. They're the ones who can fix it. And the reason why we don't pay them enough is because there's a scarcity mindset around how much money is available in the pot. And that's only there because gym owners don't know how to sell. Coaches don't know how to sell. And there's a fear that if we increase our price and we don't know how to sell, we're not going to make any money. And it's a legitimate fear that needs to be fixed by learning how to do it. Cool. Well, we'll wrap up on that. I know you have a hard stop here. Um, I so wish I did wrap up, but we could keep this going in a part two sometime. Anytime. Um, but thanks for taking the time, Dr. Sean. It was good uh, bouncing this back and forth with you and, and going deep on coaches pay. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Can I make one take home point for gym owners? Let's do it. If you're paying your coaches a percentage and you think it's reasonable and it's fair based on the way, what you've been taught or what you've heard or what the industry standards are. All you need to do is get in a room with your coaches and ask them, are you happy with your pay? And if they say no, or if you're afraid to have that conversation, you have your answer. Mic drop. <laughs> it's the truth. Cool. Uh, anything else? Anything else you want to add or any? Yeah, man, I could go for fucking four more hours on this. But... <laughs> we'll do a part two sometime. Deal. Thanks for taking the time, Sean. We'll talk soon. Of course. My pleasure.